Hello and welcome once again to Crazy Comics and Stories. It's me, your charming and delightful old Uncle Rap Bastard. And at the other end of the series of tubes and wires that we call the internets is Joe, Crazy Writer. How you doing today, Joe? Did you know DC Comics can't do masturbation? Neil Gaiman was once told that he could none he couldn't mention masturbation in Sandman as and this is the quote people do not masturbate in the DC universe. No Neil's reaction everybody was so angry back then. Oh yeah, Neil's reaction was that that explains a lot about the DC universe. <laughs> and somebody asked him he said is this true and Neil's yep. <laughs> Grant Morrison and I believe it was Arkham Asylum had this thing where Joker was taunting Batman and I believe it was supposed to be the second Robin. He was saying, ah, is Robin old enough to masturbate yet? And he was told you have to change that word. So he changed it to his Robin old enough to shave yet. Cause then Batman was like, don't you mention Robin in your filthy mouth. So yeah, that would say a lot about the DC universe. Interesting. Larry Nevin, sorry, you were wrong. By the way, but, I have but, I have something on my screen right now, Joe. We all know what Batman does with Catwoman. I'm sorry, what's on your screen? I have right here, uh, signed by Governor Mark Dayton. Ooh. Co-signed by Secretary of State Mark Ritchie. From the state of Minnesota, whereas the Midwest Comic Book Association is a volunteer-run nonprofit organization founded in 1988 by comic book professionals and fans in St. Paul, Minnesota, and for 25 years, the Midwest Comic Book Association has been dedicated to community through charitable works convention, showcasing local talent, providing volunteer support, and services to the creative communities in the Midwest region, and... The Midwest Comic Book Association supports local and charitable causes, including Minnesota Food Shows, Minnesota Lupus Federation, the Minnesota Literacy Council, and the Midwest Comic Book Association has donated over 250,000 age-appropriate comic books to local schools, hospitals, and libraries, and... The Midwest Comic Book Association brings professionals, creators, dealers, and fans to Minnesota from across the United States for biannual events. And the 25th anniversary of the Midwest Comic Book Association is being celebrated at the Minnesota State Fair Grandstand from May 18th and 19th in 2013. Now, therefore, I, Mark Dayton, Governor of Minnesota, do hereby proclaim Saturday, May 18th, 2013 as Midwest Comic Book Association Day. Cool. Send me a copy of that. I'll give it to, uh, well, I don't want to spill any beans. I know we were talking off podcast, but I do have in my, uh, my, my ear to the wall. And I do believe that although the MCBF's final show is coming up and going to be, Oh, it was April 8th, 2023. They're going to have Microcon 3 at the Mermaid Center. Yeah, again. (laughs) For the first time, for the last time. Which I did not know. And Brian Wilson, who was on the board, snuck this past us. There was a joke with the first group of people who did conventions that every convention was number three. 
and I don't uh, don't understand the joke. I wasn't there for it. But Brian was the one who would put together the flyers and the banners and everything back before you had computer graphics where he would have to go to a art supply store and buy stuff that you would rub off onto. Oh, paper. yeah, yeah. Yep, yep. He actually gave me what he had left. Yeah, I, again, I don't think you were going to it, but when we hit the 25th. Yes, I was there. Yeah, when I had that three, four tables where I put out kind of the history of the MCBA in a mirage form. I'm sorry, a mural form. <laughs> mirage. Is it there? Is it not? I actually still have that. I put a lot of this stuff on there and it was interesting because Brian said up until about 2000, he had all this stuff in his files. And after that, we started using computer generated flyers. So I had to go back and find physical copies and put them on there. But I had like pictures and I had sketches that I got and there were certain things like think you remember the time Brian from Hot Comics just brought the Toy Biz Rogue action figure? Yes. Because he had, what, like a thousand of them or something? He was selling them. And that's all he did. He sold. That was the entire thing he brought. And by the end of that first day, he was done. He added money. He left. And the guy next to him, and I took half the table. He took half the table. And we continued on. <laughs> so just fun things like that. And I think I still have it in the warehouse. I'll ha- or it might be in the garage being eaten by mice. I'll have to bring it to the con and unroll it and just let people look at it and say, hey, this is anybody wants to take it because it's all sorts of fun. I know they had one for Kurt Swan Day. Yep, that was the mayor of Minneapolis. Well, it's not a statewide. It was just Minneapolis. Yeah, that that. I'm trying to think if there was another one. Or maybe, I, I don't remember. I'll have to go look at the historical wall. I know, for me, it, it's always hard to start because Pat and I did the early MCBA shows as P&J Comics. And I guess, according to you, Corey, we were at the very first one. Yes, Which you I were. didn't realize. Which was and, in a VFW that I also... Every time the Dolly Rots are in town, they perform at that VFW. Now, was the second one at a Holiday Inn on the West Bank of Minnesota? No. The second one was... The second one was at the... uh, Give me a second here. The second one was at the Thunderbird. Because we I remember Thunderbird the, early on, there was another convention that was at a Holiday Inn. Okay, yeah, because I remember going to that because my wife had a table. Oh wow! She, we spent the, the night before. Oh my God, we spent the night before. She it was self-printing T-shirts, hmm. so she had taken some. I, I. I don't know the details of what it was, but she had taken a drawing and then cut it out on this thing that was like plastic where she cut around and then we would personally press. Yeah, you know, we'd put the ink on 
this thing and then personally press it on the shirts. And we made 50 of the shirts. She sold like 40 of them. And then the last 10 was bought by Twin City Comics back in 88, which was owned by this married couple. And I don't remember their name. I just, yeah, I just, I know we went to Greenberg shows. Pat and I were doing a lot of shows. Uh, I know later we joined as volunteers because we thought that they didn't have a retailer point of view to the group. And then after our first couple of cons, we decided, you know what? Fuck retailers. Because it was kind of, back then, it was kind of, the MCB was almost begging the dealers to come to the show, which I always thought it was short-sighted because Pat and I made a lot of money going to the MCBA shows. And I know Greenberg had his show. He would do them every month at the, uh, was it the Marriott across from the Thunderbird? Yes. And the MCBA, of course, would just do two a year. And then when we bought Hot Comics, we continued to do the shows. We heavily promoted them. I remember Nick telling me that, he was always impressed because he always saw my customers coming to the show. Whereas other shops, he didn't see their customers come as much. And I was like, no, I loved advertising the show because I was very matter of fact, I couldn't carry everything in my comic shop. When I owned hot comics, St. Paul, I made the decision to carry new comics and new toys. And that was my wheel well. And of course, tons of other sundry things that, again, I don't want to get into because we're talking about MCBF, MCBA. I remember when they went to the Maplewood Community Center, which was just a mile north of me, I would just stand at the door and be the door greeter and pass out flyers because I figured people would come down to the store. Matter of fact, the first show I had bought a table and then I could not get anybody to watch the shop because Mike Edmondson was a volunteer there. That was one of the deals. He said, Hey, whenever the cons come, I'm working the con. I'm not working, you know, as for hot comics. So I think I put a sign on the table and said, cannot be here, but I'm a mile South. We got a big sale going. Come on down. After that, I would do, I would have like drawings or, a, a raffle ticket with numbers. You have to come down and compare the number. And But it was great because every time there was a show, be it the Thunderbird or at Maplewood Community Center, it was like getting up to a month's worth of sales. So we always, always looked forward to that. I remember even telling Nick, we should get this new cat to come to our shows. Uh, what was his name? Frank Joel. Yeah, not a lot of people know who this guy is. Uh, I remember spending tons of money at the charity art auction. I mean, there were a couple of years where Mike Edmondson and I were the biggest people there buying art. And I was honored after I sold my shop when Nick tapped my inner retailer. And I believe you did it. We set up the MCBA's, what do we call it, White Elephant Booth? Yeah. I, I remember that because that was about the same time the Avengers came out and we we're like, You've got a lot of red in your ledger. Here's your chance. <laughs> and we did something that drove everybody nuts. You, you remember what that was, Corey? Uh, we didn't put prices on stuff. Absolutely not. 
it would be like, nope, you tell me what it's worth. And with very, very few exceptions, we we would accept the offer. And you could see there were a few people that were just kind of, you could see their brain like, <laughs> they walked away and they're like, make an offer. It's for charity. We're not telling, telling you to, to spend a lot of money, but we, you know, we're not trying to guilt you into doing that. When Dana took over, and I believe this is after you. Were you there when Dana was there? Where had you retired by then? Um, I did two years where we broadcast. Okay. And that was when Dana started to move into doing that. And then she took over afterward. Dana didn't like that concept because you and I had kind of an innate knowledge of what things were worth. Yeah. Whereas she didn't. And I told her, Dana, this is your baby. If you want to put prices on everything, I will help you price it. And I remember the one thing that drove Dana nuts is when she was setting up on Thursday, Friday. Well, first of all, Thursday we would show up. And usually this was at the fairgrounds. And we would set up tables. And Dana and I had a great system for doing it. We'd get a map. We'd get the tables. Flip. We'd use a hammer, put the get a bit, get it sturdy, flip it, and we could. I mean, there were times we would show up and everybody's like kind of looking around, waiting to see to be told what to do. And Dana, said, well, let's let's find a map and do it. And then people would start jumping on with us, and we're like, no, go away, you're you're effing up our system. We've we've got this figured out. Go to the other end and do the same thing. So, again, a, a fun memory. But what really cheesed Dana was when she would be setting up stuff and like the Friday before and dealers would come and start making piles and want to do deals on stuff. And her attitude was, no, this is selling for what it's selling at. And I'm not selling it at a discount until towards the end of the show. And I told her, well, yeah, that's what dealers want. They want to do a deal. But this is your baby. If you don't want to sell anything until the day of, don't. Or just tell them, come back at the end of the show and I'll cut you a deal. And, of course, none of them came back. And she was like, yeah, I empowered her. I said, you do it. And, of course, eventually Holly jumped in. And there were times when our whole family was there. And it was just amazing. (laughs) My favorite was when. I believe it was Dana's boyfriend, Zach. He was hanging with us. And I think Angel Medina, who was on the other side of where the wall was, he, he looked up and he looked right at her. You're dead to me. And, <laughs> and he's like, oh, oh. <laughs> so it was a lot of fun. And of course, you mentioned it, the live podcasting we did at one of the show that drove you insane. And I think it's all up on the YouTube channel, isn't it? I believe it is still there. Oh, so, I mean, and of course, the beginning of it, Corey and I were just, you got just me and Corey talking and our heads bobbing back and forth like we're watching a table tennis match until I got the bright idea. Of, hey, let's turn this camera around so you can see the crowds behind us. And then we had people stop by. We had guests stop by. That, that, oh, I, how how you pulled that off was amazing. Yeah, it was just a fun. There were so many wonderful people donating items, all the money we raised to the charities. When I went and did my 
show on the uh, sketchbook. A lot of the sketchbook bring back specific memories because they happened at the con. And of course, a lot of the photos, if you go to Midwest comic book fans on Facebook, a lot of the photos there are photos that I took. Because when I was doing, before I did the charity booth and I was the photographer, I made it uh, an issue to actually stop and look at every single, or make sure every single guest got a picture. And then later I would see them use it on their Facebook page or their promotion page. And I'm like, yeah, do it. Link yourself, tag yourself, use it. I didn't claim any photographers. So I know there were a number of other photographers that ran around to pictures that never got posted. So that was that was a lot of fun. Well, I left the compound this weekend. Dude, I'm standing up. You gotta let I gotta sit down when you say say stuff like that. Well, the reason was that you know I've had my new car for a year when I got it uh, March, March of last year, and after eight thousand miles, you know, a little thing comes up says, "Hey, you need to take this in." Because it's it, it you know it's it's car smarter than me. Bing it's bong. not a smart car because no. those are the little bitty ones, but it's a car that has all these things exactly. in it that says, "Hey, it's eight thousand miles. You need to take it in, get the oil changed, get everything checked, blah 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 blah." So okay, I'll set that up. Now here's the cool thing because it's the first time everything was free. Which, you know, pretty cool that you go to a car dealership to get your car looked at and get stuff done to it. And you don't pay anything. But they also said, you know, normally people come in after, you know, six months. And you took you a year to get to 8,000 miles. And that, remember, Joe, that's with two trips to Illinois within a month. And that's because I work from home. So I have a feeling, you know, you've got the, remember when you had the grandparent who had the car that was from 20 years before and it only had 20,000 miles on it? I say never drove it. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of what's happening to me. But afterward, I was like, you know, there's this new comic shop called Most Wanted Comics. It's at uh, 9907. Isn't it? 9907 Lindale, Aha. which is basically the uh, like an ancient little strip mall before there were strip malls because it's all enclosed. That's less. I think it's a block away from where the Bloomington Shinders was, which I found wonderfully ironic. So I decided to stop in right now. They are just back issues and toys. What day were you in? I was in on Saturday. And uh, the back issues are $3 unless priced differently. And they had bought, they had an entire row of bundles. So I went through the bundles because the back issues I was looking at, I'm used to, these are the guys who would set up, but it's like, okay, everything's a dollar except for the stuff that's priced. And uh, yeah, I've been through their boxes at a dollar. I'm certainly not going to pay $3 for anything I skipped over at a dollar. But I got some bundles. But I talked to the guys who owned it, and they are looking to get new comics starting in March. 
one of the things he mentioned was that back issue prices on slabbed books are starting to drop. Are falling. And you have mentioned that as well. Yeah, there's a lot of people online. I think I think it's just a speculator bust boom. Because I've seen guys and they're like, yeah, I've got 27 spawn number 10 slabbed. Why? There, There's a whole group of people that are just buying comics, not to read, but to slab. And other than, I, again, I've talked about my views on slabbing, but because there are so many of them doing this with new comics, I think the market's flooded. And what happened during COVID is... CGC, among the premier ones, were backlogged. And now that they're starting to get caught up where people aren't waiting six, seven months, sometimes up to a year to get their comic packs for new stuff, they're all hitting the market at once. And there's no way these things, if it's if it's a $100 book, there's no way it's going for three, $400. And there's some people asking insane prices just because they got a 9.8. 9.8s are fairly common in new books. 9.9s and 10s are different. But yeah, it's uh, the market's flooded right now, and I think it's it's starting to uh, show that, especially for guys who just sell slab books. Now, one of the things that the owners, not the owner, the person who was working there, I guess the owner wasn't there that day. I don't know who works there who owns it i believe joe you're the one who told me it's the same people who owned captain jacks right i thought so because they were the same people that were putting on the sales wasn't it yeah yeah so and i believe this is the same group of people so he said and i hear this about all sorts of things well you know people got their stimulus checks and they decided to dump that money into comics well they don't have that money anymore so people are having to lower their prices. And I I don't buy that. I honestly don't buy that. Because I, you know, and you hear, even in Congress, well, you know, people got their stimulus checks. That's why they're not working. Sorry, dude, $600 is not going to last for a year and a half. People have got the stimulus checks for the most part. This was, what, two years ago now? Almost mm-hmm. three Spent it on food, toilet paper, rent. But there were some people who, like me, were still working. And the cost of working dropped because you didn't have to drive to work anymore. And gas prices went way down and things like that. Now, what I did, I didn't put my money into comics. I put my money into a savings account. Way crazy. But I think with what had happened with movie there was the movie thing where, oh, this character is going to be in a movie, so this comic goes up a lot. You brought in the people, kind of like what happened in the early 90s. You had the speculators come in. Yeah, that's happened a lot. I mean, we've seen books like, what was it Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man? There was the first Hispanic villain who's going to be allegedly in a movie. D- Hypno Hustler is supposedly in a movie. Disco uh, or was it the skateboard guy? I don't know. All these appearances are, are going crazy. Yeah. 
there and are it's because going to be oh, movie. when it's when it's a movie, it's going to be huge. I know that Moon Knight before the Moon Knight series came out, those prices went crazy, and now they're settling back down. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, same thing. They went insane before the movie, and then they settled back down. And I think all the speculators, because also the same thing was happening in baseball cards again. And what happens is the speculators, usually if they can't get the money when they flip, because you had a lot of people who were flippers. And if you watched on eBay, you could see that, you know. You can see, oh, somebody bought this book, and then you'd see it show up a little while later over here for a few hundred dollars more. And you do some flipping, too, but you do it differently. You you troll the bargain bins and then flip. Yeah. Yep. But I think a lot of the flippers have now moved on to other things. I can tell you what I think they've moved on to. What's that? There's uh, Bitcoin. No, 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 no. Kind of. No, no. There's, there's two different things that I see are happening. And again, years ago, I was telling people, you know, hey, these are the ways you can make money. And this is kind of what's happening now. Subsequent printings. If it's hot, a first printing will always be good. Problem is there's so many different variants. You always, you're never quite sure which print will be hot in a first print. Is it the main title? Is it the one in 20, one in 10, one in 50, blah, blah, blah. The higher the, the ratio, the better. But not second prints, but later, and sometimes second prints, but mostly third, fourth, and fifth prints. Because the thinking's going, there's less of these published. Therefore, if it's in demand, they're harder to find. And sometimes they're better artwork, like they'll drop the color, or they'll drop the sketch or whatever. So you'll sometimes you'll see, yeah, the first print's expensive, but the fifth print's more expensive than the third print because they're reasoning there's less of them there. The other thing that's starting to get hot, and this one may continue, newsstand variants. Same thinking. There's less newsstand variants out there. Used to be... It was the same. Didn't matter if you had the Spider-Man face or there was a, a a big bar across it. Now, if you got a newsstand variant, especially if you can grade it, and again, this is still the flippers in charge. They're not the readers, but the flippers. There's less newsstand variants. Not everyone is going there, but people are discovering I have a newsstand variant. They're being told, hang on to it because... As soon as people get around to it, they're going to realize, oh, yeah, a spawn number one newsstand variant is more expensive than the regular spawn version. And again, people are slabbing them and discovering. So these are two of the trends. They're, the thinking is because they were less published, they'll be worth more. Nothing to do necessarily with demand and definitely nothing to do with reading. The other thing that's happening, too, is the flippers are out and they may not buy a book at what it's selling for on eBay because they want to buy it for less so they can flip it. So people are looking for deals. You know, there's kind of like I'll put out, OK, like I just put out I have a strange academy run that uh, Scotty Young and 
uh, Humberto Ramos were doing. Number one is like a $180 book, Unslabbed, because it has tons of first appearances. You go into, I think, issue... I'd have to look it up, but it's in the teens. I want to say 13, 14, where Gaslighter appears, who's now allegedly going to be in a movie or he's the major villain. He actually, I think, is a big villain now as you get into Strange Academy finals. But his he has a cameo and then a first appearance, his full appearance. So those are like $20, $25 books. So, yeah, people are doing the firsts. They're even fighting the old fight. Well, why isn't Hulk 180 higher than 181? Because it's got a full panel of Wolverine. That's his first appearance. But people still, 181 is still through the stratosphere. So the guys who are picking up 180 are trying to make the fight that, hey, this is his first appearance. This should be priced higher. Especially when you look at things like, well, actually, that's probably not a good example. But the first appearance of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was actually in an Amazing Heroes, making that a $170 book because it's a full ad versus just, oh, yeah, Turtles are coming out. I don't think it was an ad, though. Wasn't it just they printed the press release? No, it was it was an ad. Okay, because yeah. I know the press release was in the newspaper. Uh, no, it was I had because nobody was, done that before. Nobody yeah. sent out a press release and it was. Oh, wow. We're in all these newspapers. Yeah, it took me a while to figure out, you know, because I see something. It's like, why is that $180 book? And then you go in first appearance of Turtles predates the actual run of Turtles. Now, granted, uh, first print Turtles is like a three, four or five thousand dollar book if you're lucky enough to have one. But it was actually the ad, which was basically a mock up of the cover. And then over in the where they talk about this is coming out. There was an actual write-up by whoever wrote Amazing Heroes at the time about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. So, And I've seen that, too, in Malibu Sun, first appearance of Spawn. Not in Spawn number one, but was actually in Malibu. It makes me wonder if I should be throwing away all my Marvel previews or my DC collects. I, I throw them in the recycling bin, mainly because they take up a lot of room. But, you know, you're like, well, these sometimes are the first actual appearances of these things. So maybe 20 years from now, assuming we're still podcasting there, we might be going, Oh, and I threw all that shit away. There you go, boys and girls. I just gave you your retirement plan. Save your previews catalogs and all your Marvel previews and your DC collects. Hell, even those image first that came out are, are going up, but I think that's more because it had walking dead in it or something. So, yeah, they, those are some of the trends that are happening, even though, like you said, for new comics, it's going down. For Silver Age keys and for Golden Age, it's still open season. I mean, a guy Which had... Which is what we always say. A guy had, like, a detective early Batman coverless, or actually no back cover, like, and I think it was like a 3.0 and he's still getting like five six grand for it yeah now also there are a couple of things on the beat which is comicsbeat.com because you went to you went to most wanted comics right yeah see i was gonna go on monday because i was all hoping to give you a review of the show but sadly 
they were closed. Yeah, they're closed Monday and Tuesday. Which sucks because I'm off Monday, Tuesday. So I'm going to go Wednesday and I'll, I'll talk about that next next week. And their winter hours, they close at five, yeah. which I. Basically, what you're saying is you don't want people who have jobs. Yeah. Although they <laughs> now, are, that is their winter hours. But if I, I now I imagine it's more, you know, that this is a part time thing they're doing. But if I were doing a shop like that. Opening at noon, okay, but I would stay open till six so you could at least grab the people who have office jobs on their way home. Uh, I did that with Crazy Comics because I was closed Monday, Tuesday, and then I would open Wednesday. I think we did, what, noon to eight? What, I don't remember. And then Saturday, Sunday was different. But, you know, everybody did a day. And, of course, the slowest day was Thursday. But yeah, that's, yeah, because I did Wednesday, Tim did Thursday. Was it Big I Mike? Did, I did Friday. I did Friday. Big Mike did Saturday. Little Mike did Sunday. Although Tim Kaiser did Sundays, I think too. Uh no, Little Mike was supposed to. Tim did Thursdays because that was the okay. Day. Yeah, because I would come I in and Tim would have, have you guys doing it too because that Tim was, added tons saying, and tons of like this you know, deep, heavy metal cuts to your computer. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because you'd go in and it's like, these bands all have names that you can't say in a, in this, in a, when there are people here. <laughs> yeah. So I guess I, I understand the Monday, Tuesday. And, you know, if they're all working different jobs, assuming it's not one person that's got the financial responsibility, it it could work. Yeah. Especially if you stay away from getting new comics. Well, they're going to be having new comics starting in March. Well, so, that might be a downfall, but. Uh, well, it depends. It, it, in some ways, they have been really smart in how they do their back issues. Because it's really clear from those sales they used to do. That when they buy up a collection. They may be buying a collection. They may be buying a store's old inventory and just monetizing it as quick as possible. So with new comics, they may just be buying stuff so that they have back issues and then some stuff on the stands. But I was pointing toward the thing that you wanted to talk about, actually. Over on ComicsBeat.com, which is Heidi McDonald's uh, website about the Business of comics, them and ICV2, ICVT, I'm going to get it right one of these times, ICV2.com. Internal Correspondence. Volume 2. Because mm -hmm. the initial internal correspondence was the stuff that uh, Cap City would send to shops about what's going on in the business. Then when Cap City got bought up by Diamond. One of the things that they asked for was enough money to start up that that website. But anyway, new tilting at windmills. Talking about how uh, regular periodical comics, sales of regular periodical comics. But there's also a really good two part article on how we don't have sales charts anymore and how that's a problem. 
inside the industry. Now, I want to talk a little about where sales charts were used initially. Back in the 80s, they had the sales charts, and Cap City is kind of the one that started them. I don't know if Diamond had them or not, but the way they would describe them is, we're going to let you know what is selling. And the reason for that is they pegged Batman, and they said Batman is going to be kind of our 100. If you have a shop and you sell 100 copies of Batman, this is the average for every other comic. So if you sell 100 copies of Batman, and then below that, Avengers was 79.3, that means that shops that ordered 100 copies of Batman ordered 80 copies of the Avengers. Why they didn't choose the X-Men, I have no idea, but they chose Batman. And for a lot of shops, Shinders especially, they would look at that chart and that is how they ordered. No matter how much I would say, look, in the shops that I work at, we sell two times the number of Sandman that you're getting us. Please, up your order on Sandman, up your order on Doom Patrol, all the proto-Vertigo books, because I would push them. And it brought in customers that were looking for those books. And I would just, we sell out of Doom Patrol. By noon on Friday, when new comics would come in on Friday, we're selling out. We could sell two or three times this number or Sandman after Sandman number eight, which was the please buy this book. It's going to get canceled issue. We sell out of Sandman by noon on Friday. You've got to get me more of these. That's what the sales charts were used for. Now, because DC's with Lunar and Marvel's with Penguin and IDW's with Penguin and these people are with Diamond and these people are with Lunar, there's no way to know what's selling what. And remember, it used to be that Marvel and DC would say, we have sold 300,000 copies of blah, blah, blah. They don't do that anymore. Marvel will announce when something's going to a second print or a third print or a fourth print. DC won't send out press releases for that. They just have Lunar let the shops know we're doing a second print of this. But the thing that the tilting at windmills talks about is he's having trouble selling uh, regular comics and he blames multiple special covers. Basically, every moderate-sized comic store lost at least five base percentage points from their number one publisher, Marvel, so that even if this was offset slightly by free shipping, it still means significantly higher costs than most. And it is essentially broken Diamond's math on the remaining vendors. In 2021, I paid $9,864, I'm sorry, $9,824.67 in shipping to Diamond, on $184,521.87 of wholesale purchases. That's about 5.32% of wholesale invoice that went to shipping. In 2022, I paid $10,152 in shipping to Diamond on 89,666 of wholesale purchases. That's 11.32 of wholesale invoice that went to shipping. And then he goes on about how Marvel 
had over 200 line items for just comics because of all the special covers. And back in 89, they had 85 Marvel items when, you know, 89 was, oh, Marvel's putting out way too many books. Now, I moved to trade paperbacks and digital years ago. Joe, it sounds like you are moving in that direction as well, right? More or less. I still find that I'm buying a lot of new issues. I still buy a lot of Marvels, but even as you've noticed, we're getting less of a discount on the Marvel books. Yeah. Sometimes on an independent, I get more. And considering what I pay in that, and most of the Marvels, I just want to read. I don't necessarily want to collect. You know, I mentioned earlier the Strange Academy. I'm probably going to buy that if it comes out in a collected, a complete edition, or a omnibus. Because then I'll have both series in it. Especially if it's something I want to reread over and over. And you'll just turn around and flip it. Also, when you compare to it, like 60 bucks Marvel Unlimited, that's a yeah. much, much better deal. Although... Digital sales are so much less than what regular sales are. But we don't know the number of people who are subscribed to Marvel Unlimited and DC Universe. It doesn't make a difference. Brian insists that it's irrelevant because it never has affected his sales. He also contends that more people buy what people call floppies now, we call individual issues, then do the trades. Although he sees if there's a trend that if more people stop buying the floppies and go to buy the graphic novels, that will actually push the price of graphic novels up because there's no way to spread the cost around. Right. And why DC does nothing but Batman and very little else. Here's why I a little disagree with that. For a shop, yes, digital doesn't matter. They have to deal with what they have to deal with. But if Marvel Unlimited wasn't doing well, they would not be pouring money into the Marvel Unlimited-only comics. Because you only put money into something, especially if you're Disney, that is driving a profit. One example I'll use, the Marvel character Jeff the Landshark. I don't think he's appeared in a comic that has shown in a comic shop. He is a purely Marvel Unlimited phenomenon that is now, they're taking the Marvel Unlimited stuff and printing it. So I think... There's obviously enough people subscribed to Marvel Unlimited that Marvel is looking at that as a a dollar point. Now, does it amortize the cost as much as selling individual issues? Obviously not. Well, there was a guy, and maybe this will ring a bell and you can remember who. He was talking about what he sells in individual issues and what he sells online. And the digitally he was talking how the numbers were almost similar 
But the problem was, just like in the case of lack of sales chart, he never was given an absolute number. Like, well, how many people download this and read it? Well, we don't know. They they were track they were giving him impressions. They weren't actually telling him, you know, this many people downloaded it and paid for it, which he thought was odd because he thought that would just be natural information. The bottom line for him, and again, I don't know if it was Scotty Young or Scott McCloud or whomever it was, he said he makes as much money with downloads as he was with his regular comic issues, not counting graphic novels. But again, this might have been somebody who was self-publishing and trying to sell. I don't know if he's doing it through Comicology or, or somewhere else. And of course, somewhere in my computer, I've got the link to this guy because it was a, the only time anybody's ever come forward and said, I'm about breaking even on either one. They're both equal equally important to him not one over the other disney marvel dc image might be a little different because they they sell tons more than than this particular person did and again that was a number of years ago so it may be totally things change so fast and also with that it depends on the cost breakdown Ed Brubaker has said that he makes far more money off his work for Image than when he was at Marvel writing some of Marvel's best-selling books. Now, that could also be because he owns it if it's optioned. He gets all that money. Or when it's every reprint, he gets the same amount, whereas Marvel, they have a different reprint structure. By the way, found out something about Marvel's reprint policy over the weekend I did not know from Tom Brevoort. If you are on staff at Marvel and they reprint your stuff, you do not get royalties. Because hmm. someone asked him about when he wrote Fantastic Force. And he discussed how it was supposed to be this one creative team. But as they worked on the book, the writer and the artist began to hate each other but they'd already solicited the book so it was all right who here in the office can do it tom you've got time you do it so whatever it's reprinted or on marvel unlimited or through digital downloads because he is on staff as editorial he gets no reprint royalties which i imagine is something that changed back when they said editors can't write comics anymore hmm. And one of the I I still to this day think that one of the best things that happened to Marvel is when they said that editors couldn't write anymore. Yes, Mark Grunewald was an editor who also wrote, and there are people who really love his stuff. And we're going to be talking about that later in the show. Uh, just call me Johnny Foreshadowing. Mm -hmm. But it was, okay, Denny O'Neill's going to be writing these two books for this editor, and Mark Grunewald's going to be writing these two books for this editor, and Bob Harris, who edits the X-Men and should have more than enough money, is going to write the Avengers. And then if all of the editors are writing, they're having to do this. They're basically double dipping. They get their salary as an editor, plus they have a leg up 
with the other editors because if you know if Denny O'Neill wants to write Iron Man, well, if I let Denny O'Neill write Iron Man, maybe he'll let me write one of his books, and vice versa. Or hey, if I let Bob Harris write the Avengers, maybe he'll write let me write one of these X Men books. Which if it, there's an X on the title, it sells four hundred thousand copies, and I'm going to make money. But with Joe Casada, they said nope, no more. So you didn't have people basically scratching each other's backs, and they had to go out and they had to get writers and and stuff like that. DC never really had that sort of thing. There were some editors who had in their contracts that they could write books. And the one I can think of that really, Denny O'Neill wrote books that he himself edited because he wrote tons of Batman books when he was the editor of the Batman books. And if you're an assistant editor and Denny O'Neill says, hey, I'm going to be writing this uh, Azrael series. And you're, you work for Denny O'Neill. Are you really going to say to him, well, Denny, there's this other writer who's better than you. Or are you going to say, yes, sir, boss. <laughs> but I've kind of hey, wandered. Benny. I've kind of wandered off the trail. Um, Joe, if you were a shop. And I'm going to point this out here because this is another thing that Brian Hibbs said. Today, Marvel is publishing an average of 3.5 covers for every book. DC is at nearly four. The real problem with the SKU, SKU, Joe, can you explain to people what an SKU is? Uh, you know, it's been too long. I forget what that meant. But I don't remember what it means either, but what is it? Hang on, let me look it up. It's actually an, an, an inv- individual number for marking. So you can, oh, there it is. Uh, stock keeping unit. It's a unique identifier for each of your products that makes it easier to track inventory, a.k.a. the uh, UPC code. And back when we first started, when I had Hot Comics, the UPC for most stuff, it was like 13 numbers because you could have millions of combinations. But comic books had a few extra lines because that would give you the information title and issue number because when walgreens sell something they sell junior mints snickers or they may just lump it all under candy but the upc codes are very individualized for that particular thing yes this is a 8.4 ounce box or this is a one point eight four box in a larger store it doesn't really mean as much but sometimes when you get a chance and you go to target walmart cub foods whatever look at your slip and you'll see how everything is separated that's your skews at work and also if you look on the shelf you know where they have the you know apple jacks Three ninety nine a box, and over here these Apple Jacks are four ninety nine a box. They'll actually have that number so that the people who stock the shelves they get the big box and they go, okay, this number matches this. I put these here. This number matches this. I put these here so that everything goes in the right place. 
outside of comics. That is why you have three different sizes of Frosted Flakes and three different sizes of Apple Jacks. And with Coke, it's okay. We have the one liter, the two liter, the eight, eight, uh, no, the, the six bottles, the eight smaller bottles, the smaller cans, the bigger cans, boom, boom, boom. Because if Coke has that many SKUs, it squeezes everybody off the shelf. I've got to order 12 different kinds of Coke. That means if I order RC Cola, I have that much less space. And maybe I can only carry two liters of RC Cola. Plus, I I have to carry my store brand because that's from the store. Now, Marvel used to use this to their advantage. And when I mentioned this online, there were some people who didn't quite understand it. So I want to explain how Timely slash Marvel slash Martin Goodman and then Marvel after always worked. When Martin Goodman started publishing pulps, it's okay, Western pulps are selling. He would put out a bunch of them. Because, not because, oh, if I put out more of this that's selling, I'm it'll more people will pick it up. It's no. If Western Pulps are selling and this company has to and this company has to and this company has to, if I put out 12, I'm going to squeeze them off the shelf and I will have all of that space. When it came to comics, same thing. And you saw that in the 50s. War comics are selling. Marvel's going to print 24 war comics. Horror comics are selling. Marvel's going to print 30 horror comics. Then when they lost their distribution in 57 and were cut down to eight titles a month or 16 bi-monthly books, they couldn't do that until they got their new distribution deal in 68 when all of a sudden, boom, Marvel's publishing twice as many books as they did the year before. Boom, Marvel's publishing twice as many books until you got to 1972 when they're publishing tons of stuff. And if you look at that subscription ad in your 1975 Marvel comics, it's an entire page of tiny print. And two-thirds of them are reprints. They're squeezing everybody else off the shelf. So how does that manifest now? Marvel Comics solicited 51 new periodicals for sale in April 1989, two new graphic novels, slash trade paperbacks. DC solicited 57 periodicals and three graphic novels, slash trade paperbacks. Looking at the newest catalog, Marvel has 229 periodicals, though only representing 67 distinct titles. The rest are variant covers and 47 graphic novels. DC is publishing 197 periodicals, just 49 separate series, the rest are all variants, and 20 graphic novels. So this is the first place that the production of the market has changed. Too many titles, too much overproduction. Marvel is publishing nearly a third more titles, and by and large, they're not new characters or things aimed at expanding their audience. Rather, they're generally expansions of existing franchises. Such 
For example, five distinct comics are branded Avengers. While at DC, they're publishing 15% fewer comics, but of their 49 series, 24 of them are Batman comics. Everybody asks us every so often, I want to open a shop. What should I do? And I think I've told this story a bunch of times. I say, go to the bank and get a loan for $10,000. And ask for it all in Susan B. Anthony dollars. Then go to your toilet and put, put them in one at a time and flush them. And then when your toilet backs up, whatever you have left, that's your profit. Yeah. Because it's a better idea to do that than to try and make it through this world. It used to be that the variants were a way to kind of bump the sales. Okay, here's the regular comic. If you order 10, you could get this special cover. If you order 25, you get this special cover. If you order 50, you get this special cover. Boom, boom, boom. And back in the day, that was for somebody like Joe, who, okay, there's this new uh, Captain Marvel comic. And I've got 21 people who are subscribing to it before it comes out. I'm looking at it. Peter David sells pretty well. Chris Cross, nobody knows who he is. Maybe I'll order 35. But if I bump my order to 50, I'm going to get this special cover that I can sell for $20. That will make up for if those 15 comics that don't sell, that'll make up for that. Or you'll have somebody like Pat Gruber, who at the time would go, I want the special cover. And you would say, well, what it is, I'm going to order the 50 and whatever don't sell, you need to basically pay me for. And that'll be the cost of the special cover. Now. They do have the incentive covers, but it's also, oh, here's the special cover and the special cover and the special cover and the special cover. Do they, do you have to order anything to get them? No, you just have to order that special cover. And I look back on the special covers and within a year, nobody cares. Joe, do you see the same thing when you look at the variant covers or am I just because I don't buy individual comics anymore. Am I wrong about the special cover thing and how they woo when they come out and buy a year later, no one cares? I think it depends on the cover, but I also, well, I've been selling some variants for a couple of friends and I mean, I'm looking at them right here and yeah, I've got like a, well, here's an action comics number three with the new 52. It's a black and white variant edition. I have it priced at 50 bucks. It retails allegedly. This is like a one in a hundred variant. I couldn't sell it for 25 bucks. Matter of fact, I think it's up on my half price sale, which probably ended by the time this podcast hit. Here's an Action Comics 31, New 52. That's uh, Mike Alred doing a Batman 66 variant cover. Again, super rare, hard to find. Nobody cared. So... Well, another one is the, uh, I talked about the Eminem variant cover. He had one that was released through his website only. People are going bug nuts over it. Well, price is dropping because now all these books are coming back that have been graded. They're either not being graded high or you're finding out a 9.8 isn't that rare. So people who got five, six, seven thousand $7,000 when it first came out, thumbs up. 
you're never going to get that back if you bought it at that. And there, again, there are just way too many there. It's even with Dynamite Comics, I find every so often I'll find, oh my gosh, there's a 1 in 50, 1 in 100 variant. Somebody didn't want, they put on the shelf. Source just gives them out, like whoever, they randomly give them out. Somebody didn't want it. I pick it up. I'm like, wow, $3.99. I get my discount because I'm a club member there. Come back. Oh, some guy's selling it for 10 bucks. I guarantee you the retailer spent more than 10 bucks getting that thing. But nobody cares. So if you are a collector and you want that special cover, you want those Scotty Young covers, wait a year. I remember when Justice League of America came out and they had a cover for each state. Oh, yeah, that was fun. And everybody went bug nuts having to have them all. Got to get them all. Well, now, if I were a shop and I'm sitting on them, I would just be shaking my head because they don't they don't count anymore. They're not part of continuity anymore. It was a couple of years ago. Is anybody going to remember that gimmick? Is anybody going to be looking to fulfill that gimmick? If I was doing it, I'd have bought more of the Minnesota flag. Yeah. Because I would have those still at cover price. Hey, you came to my shop. Here's a souvenir. So the other yeah. question, though, for you, Corey, did you get the action comics that had Seinfeld on the cover? I did not. Didn't did you even know, know it existed. It? I know. I ran across one, and I'm I'm looking for it. I think it's upstairs in my box of stuff. Remember I talked about finding the Paul McCartney cover? I think I mentioned I bought it. I, I picked it up on the Ebays. Why? Because I collect Beatles. So for me, I liked it. It was uh, Batman Superman World's Finest number 10. I was at the source. No, I'm sorry. I was at Hot Comics the other day, and they happened to have it. It was an action comics that has him driving with Seinfeld, you know, driving coffee and cars or whatever. And I picked it up just because I thought it was cool. I probably paid too much for it, but I'm also one that likes to support the local comic store. And I asked about it and they said, no, this is just something that showed up. They didn't know about it. They didn't order it. It was just a surprise. Matter of fact, while you, while you talk, I'm going to go tap on eBay, see if I can find out what issue that was. Now, the thing is, on top of all this, and it sounds like that we're talking gloom and doom. Gloom, doom. The 2022 numbers from BookScan, which is the basically when you buy a book from Amazon or Barnes & Noble or pretty much any bookstore anymore, even when we went to Uncle Hugo's, you know, they have the thing where they can scan the the, the the barcode and it comes up here's the book here's everything about it that goes to a central location so that they can track what sells yeah i've got mine here from the source and let's see what did i buy star trek number three variant cover one in ten star trek three variant cover one in 25 unbreakable red sonia cover 20 copy incentive cosplay and a Star Trek Mirror War, number one, 15 copy. And that's because they can scan everything in and track it. Oh, by the way, the Batman Superman World's Finest 11. I'm sorry, World's Finest 1. 
It's a hundred one and hundred Seinfeld Virgin cover. It has him, Seinfeld, Superman in the Batmobile, Batmobile toasting coffee, and Batman's on the top, and he doesn't look happy. Does Batman ever look happy? Not since anyway. uh, 1987. Yeah. So they and there's also a. Well, I mean, you could find the regular variant. Here's a guy who's got it for five bucks. You want me to get you one? Nah, I don't kinda, need it. That's kind of cool. And then there's uh, the uh, Virgin variant. So the regular variant is common, and you can find it for five. But the Virgin variant with no, nothing on the cover, that's the one. If you can find it for less than 50 bucks, you found something cool. So what I was uh, looking at is the overall book sales for what they call adult graphic novels, which are graphic novels that aren't Catman and Dog Boy and stuff. I thought they went up like 4%, didn't they? They're up 4%. Uh, Yeah, I saw that. See, I saw the headline. And from 2020 to 2021, they went up over 100%. So that means that was not a fluke. Sales have stayed up. And if you want to know why Marvel is putting out so many hardcover, big, thick books and still doing trade paperbacks, that's why they're making money there. I don't understand D.C. When they, you know, I understand a few years ago when Dan DiDio said, we're cutting back our graphic novels because we want to drive people to the periodicals. Well, it didn't work. And. Their share of the graphic novel market has plummeted. Well, if you stop canceling the uh, Phantom <laughs> Stranger omnibus every other month. <sighs> you know who doesn't cancel on you, Joe? Who's that? These guys, our sponsors. Our newest sponsor is NordVPN. Let's be honest. If you're out on the Internet, you need a VPN to protect you. There's all sorts of things going on on the Internet where people can track you. You could accidentally download a keylogger, all sorts of things. NordVPN gives the best security possible. It has a password manager, which generates complex passwords, syncs across all your devices, stores your notes and credit card information. It also gives you 10 gigabytes of private cloud storage, um, secure files that backs up your data automatically. But the main thing it gives you is peace of mind. It gives you peace of mind when you're um, out on the internet, when you're streaming, when you're playing games, when you're listening to podcasts like this one. It gives you safety anywhere at any time. It protects your online activity. You get full access to all content. And if you use the link, go.nordvpn.net, S-H-3-K-U, it'll take you to where you can get a great deal for a one-month plan, a two-year plan, a one-year plan. They are our newest sponsor. We're happy to have them. And if you would like to sponsor something here at any of the podcasts on the Solitaire Rose Network, you can. Just email me, solitairerosenetwork at gmail.com. Thanks. And I do a lot of podcasts, and uh, I don't get enough sleep. 
which is why every so often I'll get to a Saturday night and I'll be sitting at home and it's, oh, I want to watch a movie, but it's 830 and my eyes are getting really heavy. Because I do all of these podcasts. The Solitaire Rose Radio Network is currently on a pause, basically because COVID-19 has made it so that uh, I have to work a lot of extra hours at both jobs. But you can still go and listen to my other podcasts. Now, you're probably listening to Crazy Comics and Stories, which is the main podcast. But on this same feed, K-R-A-Y-Z-C-O-M-I-X, is Solitaire Rose Radio, the East solo radio podcasts that I do. Um, I've done interviews, I've done short stories, I've done all sorts of things, and you can get to it right here on this same feed. I also do a podcast called Novelcast, where I take the novels I've written and turn them into free audiobooks. That's over at novels.solitairerose.com. Dangerous Dan Moore and I, and of course Wolfie B. Bad, give you Bad Advice over at badadvice.solitairerose.com. You send in your questions, and we give you the aforementioned bad advice. And then myself and Adam Vermillion from For the Love of Comics do the Fantastic Forecast at fantasticforecast.solitairerose.com, where we go through the issues of the Fantastic Four, four issues at a time, to give the plot and commentary on each issue. That's not all. Yes, I'm crazy. I still over at PWInsiderElite.com every week on Wednesday do a recap of the latest episode of AEW Dynamite. I write up what happened and then myself and Anthony Pyrus will do an audio. Now you can only listen to the audio if you're a member at PWInsiderElite.com and if you're a wrestling fan you should be where we then break down the episode, talk about what we liked, what we didn't like, give it a grade and let you know if you should have watched that episode. Those are the other podcasts here at the Solitaire Rose Radio Network. Thanks. And now let's see if Joe is ready for retro reviews. Oh, by the way, if you're looking for the uh, tilting at windmills on the beat, it's number 293. And there's a bunch of other things that Brian covered about why Comics are having problems, but we'll save that for some other day. We could do entire months of episodes on what Brian Hibbs says. I don't agree with him on everything, but he's the guy on the front lines. And he's also, he's one of the guys who very early on started shifting over to graphic novels. And it's very clear by the last few tilting at windmills he's doing, he really wants to just go all graphic novels and forget monthly books. Yeah. Like he says, he's making, he still makes money on them. Yeah. I actually have a retro comic ready. Well, yeah. I'm so it, proud of you, It Joe. is from Gold Key. It's Hanna-Barbera Yogi Bear number 24 from April 1966. And of course... When I look it up, I have no idea who did the credits. A couple of things I'm going to point out. It's trademark of Screen Gems Incorporated, Western Printing and Lithographing Company, authorized user, and the copyrights 1966 Hanna-Barbera Productions. So the thing about these books back then is they're pretty much all humor. Nothing. I mean, the, the inside front covers, a one-page humor thing. The main story's got 
Yogi Bear, Boo Boo, and of course, Mr. Ranger. And of course, he's got signs up. Bears are government property. Don't beat them. Bears belong to the U.S. Don't feed the bears. And and of course, Yogi and Boo Boo are trying to figure out how they're going to eat, how they're going to make money. Nuts and berries? Fooey. Don't sass me. Remember, you're government property. Grr. Boo Boo's like, look at the tourists. What's up with government property, Yogi? They hustle all the way from the city here in this to carry tons of camping equipment just to have fun. But then how do they have fun? By reading magazines, going to movies and sleeping, all of which they could do at home. They practically ignore all the beautiful things of nature, especially the lovable bears. All I could think about is if they did this nowadays, it would be cell phones. So what happens is, is Boo Boo and Yogi decide that they have a number. Of, as they're running around, they get scared. They, they hop on a rock and it's balanced and it spins around and it kind of reminds them of a merry-go-round. They go into a cave and a bunch of ice gives them reflections. They slip on the ice like a slide. And Boo Boo has an idea or Yogi has an idea. He makes it a fun valley, opens it to the public, and he charges them one pound of yum-yums. He's got the Cave of Funny Faces, the Merry-Go-Rock, the Barrel of Fun, the Glacier Coaster. And of course, what do you think Ranger Smith says? Hey, you pesky bears, you can't do this. We are doing this. Is there a law against government property doing business with government property? Oh, well, no. I'll, I'll have to go look in the National Park book as Ranger Rick runs off. That book's a foot thick. It'll keep you, you out of our hair till we're old and bald. Well, what? Ranger Rick does is he picks up this incredible tomb, twice as big as any omnibus, tosses it in the Big Thinker Incorporated, and it spits out an actual page of page 1734, which says that Congress passed a law in 1982 to stop the profiteering committed on government property by a character called Owegi Bear. And who do you think Owegi Bear was, Corey? Well, wouldn't that be Yogi? Nope, it was Yogi's great granddaddy who also ah. tried to profiteer and anyways when ranger smith tries to close it down all the people rally against him angrily we're taxpayers it's our park you're our servant mr ranger so he opens it up but he has to do it free and while well, bobo's like how, how are we going to collect admissions we'll still starve because we can't do it and bobo's like that's okay or oh, yogis that's okay so he sits on the back of the flume and all the food comes flying back at them that the people are carrying. And they, and so that's the end of it. I just thought that was kind of funny. All the government for Nalderal. There's a Pixie Dixie and Mr. Jinx cartoon that goes on for a few pages. And then, of course, we get the uh, the obligatory prose piece that has Yankee Doodle and Fibber Fox. Yankee Doodle's a little duck. Corey, why do why do comics of this era always have that printed page? In order to get second-class mailing privileges, it was believed at the time that you needed to have so much text in order to be considered a magazine. Yeah. And many of them would have these short stories. Some of them would treat the letters page like that. But by the 70s, Marvel learned that no one cared. Yeah, <laughs> there's a couple other Yogi stories. There's one where it's a doppelganger who steals Yogi's. Uh, uh, he's, he basically he, it's an escaped bear from the circus. And what he does is he mimes Yogi and then gives him a headbutt. And Yogi's, oh, so that's it. He's a joker. Anyways, when 
Yogi and Boo Boo go to bed. This bear grabs Yogi's clothes and proceeds to run around the park. He tosses a trash can on Ranger Rick. He slaps a a uh, fisherman with a fish. He he juggles uh, oranges and then drops a cake on a picnicker. And then, of course, the uh, circus owner comes back, corrals the bear. Yogi comes back, gets his outfit just in time to find out that everybody's mad at him and starts, you know. What, what's interesting, though, is the story is kind of cut short. Not short, it ends. But then there's the statement of ownership, management, and circulation. Act of October 2nd, 1962. Section 4369, Title 39, the United States Code. And this is talks about the numbers of Yogi Bear. And I, I thought I would share the, the rest of the issue, more one-page stories. The only two ads are ones for 132 Roman soldiers for only $1.98. And then on the back, you can make money getting prizes with fast-selling American seeds. Those of you who buy old comics know what I'm talking about. But the, the circulation is kind of interesting because this is really the only kind of numbers, sales charts, if you will, that we have for any type of books. And the fact that I found one that actually has one is actually kind of interesting. So I thought I'd, I'd share this briefly. So it has different sections. Section A, total numbers of copies printed, net press run. Average number of copies during the preceding 12 months, <clears throat> 395,225. Single issues nearest to filing date, about 408,000. Underneath the B, they have paid circulation. These are sales through dealers and carriers, street vendors, and counter sales, which is 248,000 mail subscriptions, 1,775 for a total of 250,000. I'm just going to round up rather than do the numbers. Free distribution, including samples by mail carrier or other means, 852 copies. Total distribution sum of the total or total paid and free distribution is 251,000 office use left over unaccounted spoiled after printing 1,444,000 1, which gives you the total they said in a 395,225 and of course at the bottom there's a I certify the statements made by me are above our correct and complete HL Anderson business manager so what they're telling me in this particular run is there you go the average numbers of each issue. And the single issue numbers nearest to the filing date was about maybe 10 grand more. So that's kind of an interesting insight to just how this comic sold way back in 1966. Uh, before I, I push it over to Corey, any questions on that, Corey? I mean, was, was I pretty clear with how that statement of ownership reads? Oh, yeah. And there, the statement there, of ownership they don't do it much anymore. And there are some people who say that, yes, this is what we should go by. And there are other people who say they made the numbers up. And there are some people who worked at DC in the seventies who are adamant that they made the numbers up. <laughs> yeah, it, it can. I mean, there's a lot of small print in this thing. Uh, they talk about uh, data filing, title, title of, 
publication, frequency of issue, quarterly, location of publication, which was in Poskipi, Dutchess County, New York, headquarters, same place, name and address of publisher, which I've already mentioned, and then they get into the owner of KK Publications, all these little tiny names, talking about Western Publishing Company. Then there's known board holders, mortgagees, and other security holders, and then Paragraph seven and eight include cases where the stockholder or security holder appears upon the books of the company as trustee or any other fiduciary relations. So just a lot of a lot of peaking. And I think this is where a lot of comic historians get their numbers. True, yes. it's the best we got. So And the other thing is all magazines had to have that in order to get that second class mailing one, once privilege. Once a year, right? Not every issue. Correct. Once a year. So that was and, I, and I do remember in the 70s, there was always the month Marvel did that. And as a kid, I would go, it, it would, for me, it would be to try and, okay, what at, what sells better than what? Mm-hmm. And I would read that in detail. I've always been fascinated by that sort of thing. So the book that I have is a trade paperback that came out which reprints a series that was done in 2006 at Marvel for the 65th anniversary of Stan Lee at Marvel. And it is Stan Lee Meets. And what it is, this was one of those, we call them fifth week events. Whenever there's a month with the fifth week, there usually weren't many comics that were published because comics, okay, Fantastic Four comes out the second week of the month. Spider-Man comes out the third week of the month. Boom, boom, boom. When he got to the fifth week, there weren't regular comics. So what they would do, so the comic shops had something to sell, they would have sort of an event. Now, they don't worry about that anymore because nothing comes out when it's supposed to. But what it was, it was a mini series of five comics where Stan Lee wrote a story about him meeting a Marvel character. There was Spider-Man, Doctor Strange, The Thing, The Silver Surfer, and Doctor Doom. And there was a backup story written by somebody who worked at Marvel at the time, such as with uh, Spider-Man meets the Amazing Spider-Man. I'm sorry, Stan Lee meets the Amazing Spider-Man. The backup story was by Josh Whedon. Um, For Stan Lee meets Doctor Strange, the backup story was by Michael Brian Michael Bendis, et cetera, et cetera. The trade paperback also has another story written by Stan, Such as for Spider-Man, they have Amazing Spider-Man number 87, which is the issue where uh, Spider-Man thinks that he's losing his powers and he's sick and maybe he's he can't be Spider-Man anymore. So he goes to a Gwen's birthday party and tells everybody he's Spider-Man and then runs off. And we find out that, no, he wasn't losing his powers. He just had the flu. (laughs) (laughs) or uh for dr strange it's the first dr strange story when they brought the character back in marvel premiere or for spider-man i'm sorry for the silver surfer it's the silver surfer number 14 which was silver surfer meeting spider-man as a trade paperback it's a great package if you are not 
a hardcore Marvel fan, these stories are not that great. This is very much Stan playing himself as the corny dad joke tag along to the superhero. I've talked in the past about how Stan made his bones at Marvel by doing the goofy cornball humor stories. That was what he liked writing. Uh, the, the teenage, the, the teen books like uh, Patsy Walker and Millie the Model and things like that. He liked doing the soap opera cornball stuff. And when the Marvel superheroes started to get big, it wasn't long before he brought that comedy soap opera into the superheroes. And sometimes he would treat it dramatically. And sometimes there would be a lot of humor in it. I would say he always talked about how he loved Spider-Man. He loved this, but his favorite book to write was Daredevil. And if you read his issues of Daredevil, they are, they're comedy. They are goofy comedy with endless soap opera crap. I mean, come on. They had, how long was Mike Murdoch in there? where Matt Murdock pretended to be his twin brother so that Karen Page and Foggy Nelson would not think that Matt Murdock is Daredevil, but his twin brother Mike Murdock was Daredevil. And they kept that up for months. And you read it now and you're like, this is the goofiest crap. They wouldn't even do this story on Gilligan's Island. But the backup stories are the ones that I like. These are the ones where somebody like Roy Thomas or Paul Jenkins does a story about that character's influence and Stan Lee's influence on the character. And those are very much loving tributes to Stan by the people who were kind of Marvel's backbone at the time. So in a lot of ways, this is very much a time capsule of what Marvel was like in 2006. That's why I think if you are a hardcore Marvel fan, this is kind of, this is a buy. But if you are not a huge Marvel fan, it's a borrow, and you're probably going to skip around. And the Stan Lee meets stories, you're just kind of roll your eyes. Because like the Thing story, you're reading that, and it's like, wow, the Thing's really out of character. And Stan comes off as annoying as hell. But it's drawn by, who drew that one? Spider-Man meets the thing. Yeah, it's drawn by Lee Weeks. So, and the finishes are by Nelson. So it's beautiful to look at. His Spider-Man story is by Olivier Copiel. It's beautiful to look at. The Stan Lee meets Doctor Strange. Alan Davis drew it. It's gorgeous. So in that regard, it's a buy, and the reprints are some of the best things that Stan wrote. They're all pretty much kind of standalone stories, but it's very much a snapshot of 2006. And I think it's rare that we get things like that, which is, this is what comics were like. These were the people who were very big at the time, and this is them just having fun doing comics. Joe, 
It's now time for my favorite part of the show. No, 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 not where I take these uh, mints I bought down in Illinois at the uh, the dispensary and uh, watch a bunch of stuff on Adult Swim. No, it's freaking a geeky Joe. What are you freaking on? Sorry, I'm just eating my junior mints. Love junior mints. By the way, when you go to the movies, do you pour your junior mints in your popcorn? No, what I do is uh, usually I'll have eaten probably a hamburger, a pizza, probably had a couple ciders, hard cider that is, and then I'll have I'll have uh, milk duds because they last longer. And if I'm lucky, I haven't gone to see Avatar because I'll probably have to go to the bathroom two times before the movie's over. But that's not what's freaking me out. My poor wife, she just can't handle my fruity, pooty. Booty, patootie, because I had gas out of my ass that I like to pass. And according to her, I kept her up all. (laughs) You were wondering where I was going with this, didn't you? Me? Yeah. Slept like a baby. I had a great night's sleep. I was under a lot of pressure. It's like I tell my poor wife, you just don't know the power of the dark side. Needless to say, I I do want to say something. The phrase slept like a baby is something that people who've never had a baby say, because whenever anybody says, oh, I slept like a baby, I say, oh, so you woke up every few hours wet and needing a change, crying and annoying everybody around you. Because that's what I remember about babies. (sighs) Yeah, I remember Dana. Boy, she was a light sleeper. I mean, and she was down at the end of the hall, and I would be tiptoeing to the bathroom. All of a sudden, she'd pop up. Oh, playtime! No, it's in the freaking morning. <sighs> Holly, on the other hand, she was, I was, I mean, I literally, and this is coming back to comics, I took Dana with me when I went out to the airport to get my comics, just because that way Chris could kind of get some sleep. And at the time, Comics were being air shipped in, and it was kind of a rush to get everything early. So I would go out there, plane would land, usually about 10, 30, 11 o'clock. By the time it was processed, they'd have the books ready for us midnight if we are lucky, 1 a.m. if we weren't. I'd have Dana with me. She'd sleep pretty much the whole time in the, in the car, mostly because of the, the rhythm of the road. There was a couple times I actually would do the whole 694, 494 loop which i think is about 80 miles if i clocked it right but she would just sleep in the car and i'd get the books and then i'd go drop them off at the shop and then i'd go home and eventually i got her a swing so she would sleep in the swing unfortunately i wasn't smart enough to get the battery operated one that kept going nonstop. so every 35 40 minutes it would stop i'd have she'd start And then I'd crank it up again and go, go, go. Interesting night's sleep. Chris would have to wake up at 6. She would do a Dana. I would go to sleep for three, four hours and then get up and go sit at the comic shop where it really didn't matter if I was awake or not. (sighs) I'm sorry, what were you talking about? Actually, I don't really freak on that. Those are kind of actually fond memories. And they tied into comics. Corey, how about you? What you freaking on? Um... One of my online friends is Pat Loika. And if you know him, he is a big comic fan, has gone through a lot over the last few years. He's put out a book where he took art 
photos of cosplayers, but his main job was working at Comixology. He, like over half the staff at Comixology and Amazon, where they handle comics, were all laid off on Friday. And again, this is on The Beat, which... There are other comic news sites that mostly just print press releases and make up lists that are bullshit. The beat actually has real news. So it looks like 50 to 75% of Comixology staff was let go. All jobs at Comixology have been ended. There's still employees working at Comixology. I have no information to share about what they're working on or the length of their tenure. According to these insiders, all the jobs at Comixology have been eliminated. The entire division was laid off in three parts. Some immediately, some started to leave in June after fulfilling obligations to publishers, and a final group will stay on until October to mop up the migration from Comixology over to Amazon. Remaining employees question whether all the technical work can be completed with such a skeleton staff, but we've heard that story in tech layoffs before. While this is all brutally devastating to the business, I'm told the layoffs are generally speaking part of a larger Amazon staff reductions, which saw 18,000 people lose their jobs this week. And as the site Recode reported, Comixology is not the only Amazon division to be gutted. Popular charity project, you probably heard Amazon Smile, gone. This is a realignment of Amazon. Now that the pandemic is over, their sales are not growing anymore. It's not that sales have dropped either. It's sales aren't growing anymore. And it's always a bad, it's always bad news when people lose their jobs. But it's bad news when people lose their jobs in comics because most of the people who work in comics don't do it for money. They do it because they love it. They absolutely love what they do. You don't go into comics to get rich. Joe tried. It failed twice. (laughs) And because they're tech people, those jobs, you don't stay out of work long, especially when unemployment nationwide is 3%. And I know in Minnesota, our unemployment is 1.8% which is why we, why I work so much at the group home, because people are hired away like that. But it's always sad when people lose their jobs. I've lost jobs before in the past, and it's always kind of devastating. You don't know what you're going to do. It's one thing if you leave a job to go to another job. It's another thing when you go to work and they say, yeah, your job. You know, everybody who's got a job, take a step forward. Not so fast, buddy. And that's really the only thing I am freaking on this week. Joe? I just want to be clear about one thing. I actually supported my family for 10 years on a comic store. When I sold it, I didn't lose money. Even when I did crazy comics, I didn't lose money. Yeah, but you didn't get rich. No, I actually broke even, and that was the conundrum of it. It was like, I'm not making money at this. It's really good on your taxes, but, you know, when I remember talking with Chris, do we want to continue this for the tax write-off or do we just want to shut it down? You know, and then, of course, like we talked about before, that infamous September, which I don't <laughs> want to freak Marvel. about. 
But I did <laughs> want to say I I did I was able to support my family for ten years on it. As far as geeking, I got a brand new gas fireplace, which if you're on my Facebook feed, you'll see because I've that's pretty much what I do. I wake up every morning, I uh, get my shoes on, get my bathroom on, find my phone, pour myself a Mountain Dew, grab a donut, pastry, something, and now turn on the gas fireplace and sit down and uh, mull over what retirement will be like in four years. Uh, it is so cool. And we're going to get – we haven't talked about the weather because we've actually had pretty normal weather. But next week it's going to drop. I think towards the end of the week into the sub zeros early mid midweek. So I'm so, so looking forward. So this year we've had, or I should say the end of the year into now we've got our new fireplace converted from fire to gas. We got new steps and sidewalk. They put in our railing. So you don't have to worry about sliding off the steps, just sliding down the steps. So pretty happy about that. I haven't mentioned in a long time, the games I'm playing on my phone, I'm just going to mention because I, I seem to be down to a few right now. I am still playing Simpsons Tapped Out. I actually enjoy that one quite a bit now that I got my new phone and it's actually working. I have been known to play Switchcraft, which is a kind of like a match three game. And then you get diamonds and then the diamonds you spend to get a story. And the story is actually very compelling. What I like to do is I play because they they eke out the the diamonds onesie twosies. I'll play for like three months and get like five six hundred up. So when I get to the story aspect, I can just barrel through it. And it's a uh, it's about witches at a witch school and the mysteries and whatever and a little bit of choose your adventure type. But it pretty much no matter what happens, you're going forward. And I got to admit, when the first story arc hit, it was damn compelling because they were facing off with the big mystery bad person and I was just so glad I had these diamonds set and ready to go. The other one I play is one called Text Express. It's a word game which I'd never been good at but I find the more I play it the better I get. You know it's kind of like part wordle, part crossword puzzle, part hear your letters, guess all your words and it also has trains because as you get the trains you get fuel to power the trains which allows you to go back and forth for the adventures and while part of me wants to get the adventure going really fast and figure out what's going on the other part of me is like this is a word game just relax sit back and just play it all these games are free freemium games i think that i say that right where you're they're yeah. free but since i'm of the age of dropping 20 bucks every weekend at a arcade if i want to if i happen to like what they did like in the case of uh, Switchcraft, I really liked what they did with that story. I bought a $10 gift pack or whatever, just as my way to say thank you. A lot of these are supported with ads. Simpsons is not. So I, I don't mind. I have been dabbling in a game called Royal Match, which if you're playing any games, you probably have seen this thing. It's uh, standard match three, blah, blah, blah. I just do it when I feel brainless. So in the mail... I got, Corey, have you ever heard of Cybertronic Spree? No. I've posted it a few times on Facebook. I've mentioned it, I know, in my freaking geeking. Basically, it's a group that 
dresses up as Transformers, and they rock out. They you just go to YouTube, look at look for Cybertronic Spree, and watch some of their videos. It's a lot of fun. Did you ever see the Transformer cartoon movie, Corey? Yes. You saw the well. You remember there was Dare to Be Stupid that Weird Al had done. Yeah. They do a cover of Dare to Be Stupid that is amazing, and they have a doppelganger that looks like Weird Al that goes around because it's amazing. Because first of all, they're good singers. They know they're they they're a rock and band, but it's got to be tough to do it dressed as Hot Rod or RC or as a Quintesson or Unicron or Soundwave. So the reason I mention this is two, twofold. First of all, Toy Robot, Toy Robot, name of a magazine, volume two, issue number six, which I just got in the mail through Discount Comic Book Service. It was supposed to come out during 20, spring 2022, which means either it's shipping late or it just got to me late. But they also did a Kickstarter for some of their songs as a cover. And I finally got that in the mail. And it's not only is it autographed by all them in character, of course, but just seeing some of the music they got. I think this is all their own originals because I don't see any covers on it. But if you go to YouTube and look them up, it's, it's a lot of fun. They do some pretty decent covers. They have a lot of fun. And definitely, Corey, check out the Dare to be Stupid because I think you it's one of those that has a surprise at the ending, and I, I think you'll enjoy it. Geeking wise, we had a meeting, the fourth annual Corey Strode Memorial Luncheon. And as usual, here are the minutes to it. All right, I think we're here at the Corey Memorial Luncheon. Anybody want to talk to Corey? No. Nah. Okay. See you next time. Unfortunately, one of our members showed up late. He he, we had left by the time he showed up, but we did catch an audio of of what he had to say. Hey, where is everybody? And uh, I did catch up with Butch later that day, and we did do a little bit of geeking. Uh, I talked about it last week in the freaking because Corey wasn't able to join us, but we went down to issues needed comics. And if you pardon me for a moment, I will find. So we got together and we went down to Issues Needed Comics down in Apple Valley, 15463 Cedar Avenue, Suite 160. It doesn't matter. It's in a strip mall. You'll check it out. Originally, I think you went down there, Corey, because they were doing their dollar books at 50 cents. Yeah. They weren't doing that, but we still dug through the dollar books. I found a, I didn't find a lot of things, but I did find some stuff. Most of it was the newer things. And then, I dug through some of their back issues. I picked up some new stuff. Butch found a bunch of boxes that were 50 cents, but we also noticed that they were on the ground and we're old. It's getting <laughs> tough to go down that low and dig through 50 centers. So issues needed is a wonderful place. If you're looking for back issues, it's always worth checking it out. And even while I was down there digging through with one of the owners, as they were going through their list, he was like, Oh, why'd you get kicked off eBay? I'm like, holy shit. It always surprises me when somebody recognizes me because I go through a life with a false sense of anonymity. So, but it's it's always fun. I'm planning on going to see, oh, what what was this? What's the place we were just talking about? Most issues? Issues, issues needed. No, no. The place no, you most were wanted. Most, most wanted. wanted. I'm planning to go to Most Wanted Wednesday. So 
I will talk about my visit there next week. So I'm, I'm actually looking forward to it. I got a little excited when you were talking about it, Corey. So obviously they, if they do free comic book day, it might be a place, it might be a place to visit. We haven't figured that out yet, but I'll have to tell Tim. See, you, me, Butch, Eric, my buddy Eric, who's moving home next week. Uh, we'll have to start putting out feelers, see who wants to go. So that's all I'm geeking on. Corey, what you geeking on? First, I have to add a freaking that just came in. Uh-oh. The publisher of Guandana Land Comics, uh, Lance Jones, took a bad fall yesterday. Or, I'm sorry. Yeah, yesterday. Mm-hmm. And is currently, uh, when this was printed, it was in the ER. Uh, his x-rays and scans show he has two broken libs and a small lung puncture. Ah! They think the lung puncture will take care of him itself, but they're keeping him uh, in the hospital. Let's see. Can I I say something about a lung puncture? Yeah. Because I, when I was 17, 18, I had lung surgery because I had spontaneous pneumothorax. Basically, part of my lung collapsed. And what happens is, is you get what they call a pleural lining, which is basically part of your, it's snot that covers your lung, which allows you, everybody breathe deep. Exhale. Well, the reason it doesn't feel like sandpaper is because of that pleural lining. With a punctured lung, especially, first of all, mine was internal. If I don't know if his lung was external, which means his lung would collapse and fucking hurt. But if it was going to take care of itself, that kind of indicates it's not punctured where it collapsed. Because eventually your lung will refill and that pleural lining will, will, uh, just whatever airs there gets reabsorbed into your body. Remember what I said? Feels like fucking sandpaper. So if if that's, I, I hope that's not the case. But well, uh, the small lung puncture is not getting worse. We just got an update. Oh. Uh, the good news is that the hospital is optimistic he'll be able to go home tomorrow. Bad news is he's in an extreme amount of pain and will probably be incapacitated for the foreseeable future. Um, no information on, well, he's not going to have a GoFundMe because according to one of his friends that I've been emailing back and forth with today, through the show, basically, he doesn't believe in them. He doesn't want charity. Remember a few months ago, they got booted off Amazon, which I explained. Now they're on Barnes and Noble. So if you go to friends FOG, Friends of Guandanaland Comics, they've got information on what's available. They started a Sunday, no, a Saturday free download. So if you go back and look on Saturdays, there's a bundle of books there, as well as a free magazine called the Guandanaland Monthly Magazine that goes for about 300 pages it's got comics it's got articles it's got what you can order it's got how you can order directly if you don't want to go through barnes and noble please help uh lance get back on his feet post the link on our note show notes yep i will do that as well could you do me a favor yep <laughs> spell gwen talman or however you said it juan donaland gw a n d a-N-A-L-A-N-D. Oh, my. That, that's a mouthful. 
what it is that was one of the proto land masses before the continent split up. That's where it came from. If you go on Facebook, it's FOG fans of Guandanaland. Yep. Because I was putting fans of Guandanaland, nothing. But if you start with that FOG, it pops up right away. There are also lists of everything that's available you can download off Facebook. Uh, Lance is a great guy. I have been in some of his Facebook Live discussions. We keep talking about doing an interview, and our schedules just haven't been meshing. But this is... And you can get him in between. (laughs) I'll get him when he's all hopped up on pain pills. It's been done before for us. Uh, for my for my uh, geeking, first two TV geekings. I am not somebody who thinks that they should be bringing back a lot of old shows, but two old shows came back over the last week that I'm just in love with. The first is Night Court has been rebooted on NBC. The premise is that Judge Harry's daughter is now taking over the court. And the only actor from the previous series is John Larroquette, who played Dan, the district attorney. Now he is going to be the public defender. The first, I read a review that said it takes about six episodes for it to get on his feet. They had the first two episodes last week. It was a huge success, by the way. People tuned in in droves. I think it got like a, uh, between five and six million viewers, which on current network TV is huge. But it was pleasant. The character, they're introducing the characters. It's, it reminds me a lot of the original series in that the, the premise of the show is just basically something they can hang quirky characters and comedy bits on. And there aren't a lot of really good funny sitcoms anymore this one made me laugh and i would say once they get their feet under them and figure out who the characters are it's going to be an okay show the original night court was not a show that was must watch for me but it was one of those when i was home and it was on i watched it and enjoyed it there was a time when it was available for free downloads off my cable system and I watched it at the gym. The creator of it was also a writer on Barney Miller. So it has that same sort of style. And I really liked it. The other one is on Netflix. It's only 10 episodes, but it's called oh, That I, 90s Show. Double on that one on, on Night Court. I, my wife and I both watched it and we enjoyed it. It's not, it's not, oh my God, this is great, but it's fun. Yeah. Then on uh, Netflix, you've got That 90s Show which is set 20 years after, well, no more like 15 years after that 70s show ended, which is set in 1995. It's got Eric Foreman's parents, Red and Kitty, and his daughter moves in for the summer and everybody hangs out in the basement. Lots of 90s jokes. The original That 70s Show Worked not because it was set in the 70s, but because the characters were very funny and they they had really funny scripts where things came out of the character and you learn to care about them. If this feels like the same show. 
And the thing is, when I watched that 70s show, nobody on that show that was a teenager looked like a teenager other than Jackie, who was played by Mila Kunis, who actually lied about her age. She was actually a teenager and they thought she was much older. All of the teenagers on this show are actual teenagers. Your lead uh, female actress who you know, plays Eric, Eric and uh, Donna's kid is 15. She looks 15. She acts 15. And there's something about teenagers being teenagers that I think is so much better than you know, watch Grease sometime. And remember, they're all supposed to be teenagers and they look like they're in their late 30s. So what you're telling me, Corey, is that I should jump into the lake naked because it's just like making love to the lake. Sure thing, Kelso. <laughs> that, I saw that entrance. Oh, my God. I was on the ground. I'm not going to talk about it. I'm just going to say, check it out. Both of them were really fun shows. I read an entire book in an afternoon last week. I didn't mean to, but it is Steve Martin's book, Standing Up. Because I actually read it on my Kindle, on my computer. Yep, Born Standing Up by Steve Martin. It is so good. It is Steve Martin talking about how he got into stand-up, and what it was like when he became the most popular stand-up comedian in the world in history and why he stepped away. So you saw him at the state fair. It was amazing. And the thing is, he talks about how, you know, he's per, he started performing. There were 50 people there and then 100 and then on and on. And then his final concerts where he's in stadiums playing to 38,000 people. And why he stepped away from that I and why he never went back to it. There was a I remember because he. In a different interview, he was talking about how he had to kind of change certain aspects of his act. And sometimes it worked because he was talking, guy brought off, hey, I got a box of kittens. And so he'd, he'd pick up something, he'd lay down, and you'd see it was a kitten because you'd see it moving across the stage. So he'd pick it up. And also, next thing you know, he's juggling three kittens. And everybody's going, no. And then he'd stop and put his hands on the hip, thump, thump, thump. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but that had to be done because you got the, even at the State Fair, you had tons of people there. Yeah. And even if you didn't have like, you know, binoculars, which I remember looking through to, to see him because he even he had binoculars. He'd go back. It looks like a bunch of insects watching me. We like you, too, Steve. <laughs> <sighs> but he's written a couple books before. He's an excellent writer. He writes a lot of stuff in The New Yorker as well. Just an excellent writer. And he really captures that feeling of where all of a sudden things start rolling out of control and what it's like to be inside that whirlwind of when you become a pop culture phenomenon. And my only problem with this book is the problem I have with most of these books where 75% of the book is the struggle to become famous. And then the other 25%, which is just as much time, feels like it's on fast forward. And 
from interviews I've seen with him and interviews I've done with people who've gone through similar things, that's because your life feels like that. When you're struggling, everything feels like it takes forever. But then once you're there, the grind is so fast that it's and you never have time to sort of sit back and let it sink in. But for me, I'm always more interested in what it's like when you've hit that point and then what it's like after. And I imagine he's going to do a book about his time making movies. But just that feeling of being a pop culture phenomenon and then I'm not going to do that anymore. So that was just a very well written book. I read it on my Kindle and I'm glad I did because if I would have paid 35 bucks for the hardcover and read it in like three hours, I would have went, well, I should have bought the paperback. Comic wise, one of our listeners, Joe, can you guess who? Travis. Yes. He asked for an update on the Ghost Rider series because I reviewed the first issue and really liked it and haven't talked about it since. Well, that's because I hadn't read it since the first issue. It was one of those where, wow, I really like this. Ooh, I like this. Ooh, I like this. I had the attention span of a squirrel. So I got all caught up on Ghost Rider. And what a fantastic horror series. It is creepy. It is disturbing it is beautifully drawn and there's so many different aspects that are being brought into it that i love the uh, shield agent who's now in the fbi who's also a uh, mystic um the fact that it's back to when the ghost rider takes over johnny blaze he doesn't know what's going on the fact that there's all sorts of these horror elements going on. Most of the time, Ghost Rider has been written as a superhero book with some horror elements in it. You know, you go back, you read the Howard Mackey Ghost Rider. It's a superhero book. You know, it very much, okay, here's the setup. Here's the superhero fight. There's other elements around it but it's mostly a superhero book. When you read the Ghost Rider of the 70s, it's unbelievably a superhero book. This is not. This is not a superhero book. This is a horror comic. It doesn't focus on the villain of the month. It doesn't focus on the fight scenes. It reminds me a lot of Immortal Hulk in that this is a really disturbing horror comic. And I can't wait to read what happens next. So well done. So well done. Uh, You mentioned Strange Academy a little while ago. I read the first two trade paperbacks. And it's, you know, now they're doing Strange Academy final exams, which means that when this is done, they're probably going to close this off, which is a damn shame because this is such a cool idea. It's almost like, the new mutants for magic. And it has taken me next to no time to fall in love with all of these characters. And Scotty Young is so good at writing young characters interacting with each other that I almost wish they would let him do a new mutants comic. But, you know, the X books are all the X books and they're over there in the corner doing their own stuff. 
just such a fantastic book. Absolutely loved it. And the other thing I am geeking on, the last thing I am geeking on, they're adding more and more issues of Mad Magazine to DC Universe. Mostly the ones I am reading are from the 60s, because in my mind, the 60s and the 70s, when Al Feldstein was editor and you had your classic um, group of, you know, the gang of idiots. Even if the jokes have not aged well, the art is so good. The construction is so good. The Star Trek parody they did. Now, most of it is it's doesn't really fit what we think of Star Trek anymore because Star Trek has changed so much. And they did the parody during the very early part of the first season and treated it more like a standard science fiction show. But man, Mort Drucker's art is so well done and so good at just capturing the essence of an actor. They do parodies of movies that I, you know, that are lost to time that, you know, maybe they were big in the 60s, but now you look in Turner Classic Movies, if they ever show them, they show them at four in the morning. But man, the the writing on those parodies is so good. I still think the uh, Batsman parody that Mad did, Dick Bartolo and Mort Drucker, is better than the Batman TV show. And the Batman TV show was really good. But you've also got Sergio doing his stuff. Prohas with the spy versus spy. Al Jaffe writing and drawing. George Woodbridge. Jack Davis. We did not know how good we had it, Joe. We did not know how good we had it. Believe it or not, kids, you've listened to us blather on about funny books for an hour and a half. And did you know if you go to Barnes and Noble and type in Guandanaland Comics, you'll have 270 items to choose from. And you want to know what's in my cart right now? Uh, Help Magazine. No, that that was close, as well as the TV Guide one. I've got the Complete Question, black and white trade paperback, which I may go up to the color one. The Complete Ghost Rider, the the Western Ghost Guide, uh, Wiz volumes one and two which i may not do because i think i still have my uh dc archives but i don't have master comics which is captain marvel jr and i know i don't have wow comics which is the uh and a lot of these are the i i gotta decide do i want to stick with the black and white readers collection or do i want to spend a little bit more and go up to the color one but a lot of it's free shipping because it's just the way barnes and noble work and you can pick it up at the your local Barnes and Noble. So you don't have to worry about some, some bitch picking it off your newly minted concrete steps. The ones that I ordered are the two gun kid, which are the real early two gun kid stories at Marvel slash timely slash Atlas did not renew the copyright on. Yeah. As we say every week, the comic we like the least, we still like better than the comic that you uh, like the most. Joe. I don't, Corey, what do you call a reindeer with no eyes? No idea. Thank God the crickets are back. (laughs) And I still got a full box of junior mints. Corey, hit my music. Yeah. 
Bitches!